as you're turning to Ruth chapter 4, I want to read to you the words of Jeremiah the prophet who said in chapter 8, for the hurt of the daughter of my people I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of my daughter of my people. Father, today as we gather in your house, we're thankful that we can go through a myriad of emotions, that we can not only count it all joy, but we can rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. But even as my wife said earlier, we can also lament. We can mourn. We can grieve. We know that in a body this size, there are those who are rejoicing and those who are mourning. When times are good for some, times are bad for others. And you're still in control of no matter what season we may find ourselves in. You make one as well as the other. You cause the rain and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. You're in control of the seasons of our emotions and our lives, the ups and the downs. And even this morning, Lord, we want to pray for those in Parkland, Florida, who are grieving this morning. Those who sent their children to school on Wednesday, on Valentine's Day, believing that they would come home. Teachers who worked, who lost their lives, had no idea that on that day they would breathe their last. So we're thinking of that city, that community, that they would know that there is a balm in Parkland. That they would know that there is a physician there, a doctor who can heal the soul. I pray for those who are asking questions. Why would a good God allow these kinds of things to happen? I pray, Lord, that you would minister to them as only you can and encourage them. Send somebody their way. Not so much with an anecdote to try to fix it because that's not possible. But send somebody by with the words of prayer to lift them up. And Lord, we know that there's not only pain and tragedy there, but Lord, as we pray, there's pain and tragedy here. I don't know what your people are going through, but I know there are some people going through. But I thank you that they came to the house of the Lord, that they decided to seek your face. Would you speak to them today? Would you encourage their soul to let them know that you're still God and you're still good? May Ruth chapter 4 be an inspiration to us all about waiting on you. 
Pastor, would you help me to preach it? Will you help your people to hear it? And would you help us all apply it? For it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Ruth chapter 4. As a matter of fact, we'll start with the last verse of chapter 3. If you're with us here for the first time, we've been going through this Old Testament book that takes place during the time of the judges. When people did that which was right in their own eyes. And the nation was very, very inconsistent spiritually. But in the midst of that, God raised up a witness. God raised up an example. He raised up a foreigner to show his people what waiting on the Lord looks like, what obedience to God, what coming under the covering of God is like. He used Ruth, a Moabitess, not only in the lives of the people then, but even from the grave, she still speaks to us today. And I often get asked, what is my favorite book of the Bible? And I tell people, it's whatever book I'm reading or whatever book I'm preaching. And I tell you what, um, reading Ruth has been so good for me on so many levels and I hope that your faith has been energized as well by looking at uh, the example not only of Ruth, but also of Naomi and what we see of Boaz, who is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. But if you've been hanging with us, you know where we're going today. If you're just starting with us, let me say this to you. The book of Ruth ends better than how it began. I said the book ends better than how it began. The book began with death. Three men died in chapter one. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and her two sons, Milan and Kilion, all died. And not only was there death in chapter one, there was also barrenness in chapter one because uh, Ruth nor Orpah were able to have children even after having been married for 10 years. So the book starts with death. It starts with barrenness, but it also starts with a famine. The whole thing got started because there was a famine in Bethlehem. And Elimelech chose, he had an idea, a good idea, but it wasn't a God idea, to relocate his family into Gentile territory. And it was there that... Naomi experienced so much grief and pain that she said, the Almighty is afflicting me, that God has come against me. Not only has, have I lost my husband, but I've lost my two sons, and neither do I have a grandchild to carry on the name. And so it starts bad, but it ends great. I want you to know that chapter 1 is full of weeping. But in chapter 4, there's going to be a wedding. Oh, I want you to hang with me today. Because although there was death in chapter 1, there will be birth in chapter 4. Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says, The end 
of a matter is better than its beginning. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. So I want to tell somebody today, just hold on a little while longer. I know it feels bad. I know what you're going through doesn't seem fair. But if you can just hold on to the one who's holding on to you, he has said that all things work together for good. He has said that the end is going to be better than the beginning. Weeping may endure for chapter 1, but joy is coming in the morning of chapter 4. And I want you to know that today we all have something in common. Everyone in this room, we have something in common. And that is we are all waiting on God for something or for someone. We all have something in common. We're all waiting. I don't know what you're waiting on. You may be waiting for your change to come. That's what Job said because his body had been so afflicted. He had lost everything that he had, his children, his finances, his health. And he said in the book, he said, oh, I am waiting for my change to come. But he also said in that book that I know that my redeemer lives. And though the flesh is falling from off of my body, yet in this same flesh I'm going to see God. And I'm going to see him for myself standing on the earth. So we're waiting for a job. Because some of us either don't have a job or we're looking for a job that uh, is more gainfully uh, employable for us, that it gives us more money. Uh, we're all waiting on something. And I've seen people in this church go months without a job, waiting on God to provide a job. And they kept showing up week in and week out, didn't look like they missed any meals, and they got to learn about God while waiting for him to provide the job. And, and they'll tell you, even though those were some hard months, they look back and say those were some good months because it brought us closer to God and we got to see his hand work in ways that are not always uh, conventional. And so there is a, a purpose in waiting. There's a glory in waiting. Some of us are waiting for a house or a car or healing in our body. Some of us are waiting for a mate. Some of us are waiting for instructions on what to do next. Should we move? Should we start the business? Should we go back to school? We're all waiting on something. But the question I want to raise today is, how are you waiting? We're all waiting. But how are you waiting? Because how we wait is an indicator of where we stand in our faith with God. Because when our faith is not strong while we're waiting, as we'll see today, we have a tendency to jump the gun and do things on our own as opposed to waiting on the Lord to do his part. And so how are we waiting? What's our attitude like as we're waiting on God to come through for us? Because if he doesn't come through, it won't get done. Oh, my goodness. In Ruth chapter 4, we see three different ways of how to wait on God. Three different ways. And I'm going to uh, suggest that we all go back and forth between these three ways. By no means is what we see here exhaustive of how to wait on God. Uh, the Bible talks a whole lot about waiting on God. So many different men and women in the Bible had to wait on God. On God. So this is not an exhaustive formula, um, but this is what Ruth 
pulls out of the text or what we pull out of the text of Ruth in order to learn how to wait. And we're going to learn from Ruth how to wait patiently. And then from Boaz, we're going to learn how to wait actively. And then from Naomi herself, we're going to learn how to wait uh, expectantly. So we're going to see waiting patiently, waiting actively, and waiting expectantly. Because if all three of these people today could come up to this platform and testify, they would say that it's all worth the wait. It's worth the wait. I know we had to wait, each one of us, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz. They had to wait. We had to wait. Waiting is tough. But when God comes through, waiting is worth it. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing we would have waited on God. So I want to encourage you today. God sees you. God knows what you're going through. He could give you what you are waiting on right now. But he chooses to say no. Because we want to develop intimacy while you're waiting for what you're waiting on. Because sometimes we have a tendency that once we get what we've been waiting on, we forget the one who provided what we were waiting on. And also, waiting on the Lord will purify our motives. Because if we always got what we wanted when we wanted, we would be some spoiled children. And we don't always need what we ask for. We think it's a need. But the longer you wait on it, the proof that it's not a need is that you stop praying about it. Oh, let me leave. Let me go on. <laughs> if you're not praying about it, I guess it wasn't that important. So God is like, the reason why I'm not giving it to you is because I'm a good father. I don't spoil my children. Every time you ask, that doesn't mean I'm supposed to jump and do it for you. No, I want to develop intimacy with you. I want you to see that I'm all you need, even as you wait on this thing that you need in the earthly realm. And I also want to purify your motives, and I want you to have great joy when I come through. My, my, my. So let's look at Ruth, how she waited. Ruth waited patiently. She waited patiently. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be in your Kool-Aid this morning. I already know what the flavor is. I'm coming down your street, going to drop some mail off in your box. So hang with a brother. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 18. It says, then she said, sit still, my daughter. This is Naomi talking to Ruth. Remember, she went to the threshing floor. She literally proposed to Boaz. She uncovered his feet. She laid down at his feet, and she was saying, cover me or accept me as your wife. Okay, go back and listen to the CD to get caught up or read the text. And so she comes home from the threshing floor early that morning, and uh, Boaz had told her, I've got to go handle business at the gate in order for you to be my wife and in order for me to redeem the land that you and your mother-in-law have from your deceased husbands. I've got business to do. So she goes home. She's been loaded down with grain because he blesses her and says, don't go back to your mother-in-law, Naomi, empty-handed. She comes back with almost 100 pounds of grain. Mama sees all of that. And she says, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. 
So Mama Naomi said, honey, just sit down. Sit still. You need to wait patiently. Because while Ruth was waiting, while Ruth was sitting still, Boaz was working. Ruth could not control or manipulate the circumstances. She was at home. Boaz was at the gate. It was out of her hands, and all she could do was wait and pray. And Boaz told her in chapter 3 of the possibilities while she's waiting. And he said to her, he said, now listen, I will redeem you. I will take you on as my wife. However, there is a relative nearer than I who has the first right of refusal on the land and on you. I'm, I come after him sequentially. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Boaz says, now, if he does not want to redeem the land and you, I will. But if he does redeem the land and you, then so be it. That is the will of God. And so as he went to the gate, she knew the possibility that another man could come by the house and say, honey, hey, meet your new husband. She knew that a new man could come and take hold of her deceased husband's land. She knew the possibility of what could happen. It wasn't a slam dunk. So she had to wait. She had to sit still and she had to pray because somebody else could come in here and redeem the land and her. So Naomi said, honey, sit still. In other words, don't fidget. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Sit still. Sit down. And it reminds me of what God said to Moses in Exodus 14, 13, when he was trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh. God told Moses, stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. But also in Psalm 46, verse 10, the psalmist says, be still and know that he is God, that I am God, and that I am in control of the nations. So in the Bible, mere humans, finite people, people who are limited and with limited resources, we are told there are some things out of our hands and we need to just sit still, stand still, and be still. But oh, that's so hard at times for many of us. Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait on the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not take matters into your own hands because whenever anyone in the Bible does that, they have to pay severely for the consequences. God told Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Well, Lord, how are you going to do that? My wife, Sarah, is barren. I know that. I knew that when y'all got married. I'm calling those things which are not as though they are. I'm building your faith. You're going to trust me. You're going to be the father of faith for the Jews as well as for the Gentiles. All right, God, I'm rolling with you. Year one, where's the baby? Year two, where's the baby? How can I be the father of a great nation if we can't have children? My wife is barren. Year three, no baby. Year 10, no baby. 
Abraham is like, wait a minute now. Wait a minute, Lord. Let me help God out. My maid servant, Hagar, she looks fine. Sarah says, take her and have a child for me through her. Now, the whole book of Genesis, Abraham is praying left and right. Lord, should I do this? Should I go there? What should I do? Should I rescue Lot? What do you want me to do? But when this thing came up, when Sarah said, take my main servant, brother man did not pray. <laughs> he said, okay, all right. Now, before he even went that way, he was trying to make the steward of his house the one to receive his inheritance. Eleazar, I believe his name was, from Damascus. Uh, uh, and God says, no, the person is going to come from your body. And so rather than waiting on God patiently, he jumped the gun, didn't pray about Hagar, married her, had Ishmael by her. And because of that, there's been tension between Jews and Arabs and their descendants for thousands of years. And so when we don't wait patiently and jump the gun, we suffer the consequences. I need to let you know something here. That chapter 3, verse 18, Ruth is told, sit still. Sit down, trust God, and trust your future man to handle business. Don't get up and go downtown at the gate and try to help him out. Oh, boy, I'm going to put it in reverse. I ain't going to stay there. Sometimes the helper is supposed to help. Sometimes the best way the helper can help is to sit still. All right, let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. You don't see Ruth talking in chapter 4. There are no words recorded that Ruth speaks in chapter 4. Meaning that while she's waiting patiently, she's waiting silently. <laughs> I got some Bible to help us out on that. Psalm 62, 1 says, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. She waited silently. But you know what we do when we waiting? We do a lot of talking while we're waiting. And usually the talking is in the form of complaints. <laughs> oh, I told you I was coming for you this morning. I told y'all. I got cut up this week in the study, so I figured I'd share the love with y'all. <laughs> Stop complaining while you're waiting on God. Didn't the Israelites complain over and over again in the wilderness while they were waiting for God to provide food or water or direction? They started complaining how quickly they forgot what God did yesterday or a couple of chapters over, they started complaining. And God does not like complaining and murmuring from his people. Because not only did they start complaining against God, they started complaining against Moses and Aaron, the men of God. And if we're not complaining, we're whining. If we're not whining, we're questioning. I mean, it's okay to ask God questions. But questioning him, what audacity does the clay have to question the potter? What are you doing with me? Wait a minute, hold on. That's what got Job in trouble. I'm God. I do whatever I want to do. I don't have to answer you. I don't have to give you an answer that satisfies your noodle of a brain. 
I'm God, and you just need to know that I'm good. When life is messed up, I hope your theology stands up. And man, God is good. God is love. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't understand what I'm going through, but I'm going to trust him. And God is like, that's what I'm after, faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please me. I am testing your faith so that you may grow in your faith. Trust me, trust me, trust me. Even if you don't like it, even if you don't understand it, so therefore, learn how to wait without getting on the phone and complaining to everybody about how you've been waiting for so long. Because complaining leads to murmuring. Murmuring leads to whining. Whining leads to questioning. And questioning can lead to cursing. You never used to curse before. At least not in public around other people. Now you just let them fly because that's how mad you are. But there's something about waiting patiently and waiting silently on the Lord. Why is it so hard for us to wait patiently and quietly on the Lord? It's because we don't think God knows what he's doing with our lives. I mean, cut to the chase. We don't believe he knows what he's doing. We don't believe he knows where he's going. Just like your kids in the back seat. When it's time to go on a vacation and they keep asking, where are we going? Are we there yet? They're asking questions the whole way, thinking you don't know where you're going. And we're in the back seat. God, where you going? God, what you doing? When we going to stop? What you going to do? And God is like, will you hush? <laughs> Thank God Ruth did not become impatient like King Saul. When Samuel told him, you got to wait X amount of days, I will come and offer the sacrifice. Saul got nervous. And he said, Samuel's been gone. I don't know if he's going to show up. So he jumps the gun and he does what is prescribed for a prophet to do, Samuel, and that is to make the sacrifice. So he makes the sacrifice. And the Bible says as soon as he made the sacrifice, which was unlawful for the king to make, that's when Samuel showed up. And he went on to tell him many things about sacrifice, that obedience is better than sacrifice. And so Saul, he had so many problems waiting patiently and even waiting silently. I just want to know, can we do like Ruth? Can we sit still and wait on the Lord? Can we wait quietly? while we wait on the Lord. And if we're going to talk about the situation, I'm going to talk to God about it and not just to my neighbors about it. Because the more you keep talking about it, the more your neighbors don't want to be around you. Every time they see you coming, oh, there she is. I know what we're going to talk about. She's going to talk about how bad her husband is, how she can't pay her bills, how she's waiting on a better job, a better house, a better car. Oh, my goodness. See you in the grocery store. I'm ducking in aisle three because I don't want to see you in aisle five because it's a broken record. So let us learn how to wait patiently, how to wait quietly. But then Boaz is going to teach us how to wait actively. Excuse me. Boaz went to the gate in chapter 4 to conduct business. He had to wait for the business transaction to play itself out. This brother was on his business. Before Ruth had proposed to him, 
he was already taking the initiative and being kind to her. So as the man, he was demonstrating love. He was reaching out towards her. He was being kind to her. She responded to that love, felt safe enough to say, I'm going to uncover his feet like my mother-in-law told me to do because I'm picking up a vibe that this man loves me. And so she does all of that, but what this brother also does is he knew, I'm going to ask this woman to marry me. So therefore, I've got to handle the business with my brother or my cousin who's ahead of me to redeem the land and this lady. So he was already on his game by the time God has stirred Ruth's heart to lay at his feet. He tells her, honey, let me tell you something. Now, you stay here till morning, but let me tell you, in the morning, I'm going to the gate because there's another kinsman redeemer, and I've got business to handle. How did he know? He set up the business transaction for that man to come along with the 10 elders from the city. He was on his game. He was working actively. He was waiting actively. He had to work while he waited. This was not one of those ones where you say, I'm just going to trust God and sit on my hands. He had to be active in the process and not passive. All brothers, did you hear that? No more time for passive men. One of the reasons we're in the mess we're in today is because Adam was passive. Uh-huh. But a real man is one who rejects passivity accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward, which is God's reward. That's what a real man is. If somebody says, what is a man? A man is more than someone who has the proper plumbing. A man is someone who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward, which is God's reward. Boaz was a real man. Oh, my, my. He did his part while expecting God to do his part. Let me read to you chapter 4 about this man. Oh, I hear salt and pepper saying, what a man, what a man. Now, Boaz <laughs> went up to the gate. He got to handle some business. He sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz has spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. What that might mean is that her land is under mortgage to someone else or it's on a lien. She's too poor to, to own it on her own. Someone else owns it. Verse 4, and I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Do you see the drama? Do you see the intensity here? Because if the story ended right there, then a strange man would be coming back to town saying, hey, Ruth, me and you, baby. Hey, it's all, it's good, it's on. But it didn't stop right there. Verse 5, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, 
I cannot redeem it. Look at God. If you just wait on God. But he had to let the process play itself out. Remember, he said, if this guy will redeem it, let him redeem it, Ruth. I'm just going to trust God. I'm not going to manipulate this thing. But he had enough business savvy to know when the guy says, yeah, I want this land. He came along and said, but you do know if you get the land, there is a lady attached to it. That's when the first relative said, now, wait a minute. That might mess my stuff up. <laughs> he said in verse uh, 6, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. I got a lady I'm about to marry. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a, a confirmation in Israel. What's the deal with the sandal? Remember when God told them, every place your foot steps, I'll give to you. When they would do land agreements in terms of what tribe had this land, or the leaders would walk through the land. So when it came down to a personal piece of property, if you sold the property or did not take the first right of refusal, you gave it away, you gave your sandal, the very thing you would walk through the land and mark out the land, you're giving it to the person who is receiving the land as uh, an item to declare that the legal uh, ownership of the land has been handed over to the next kinsman in line. By giving the sandal, it was like a receipt to show everybody that the first kinsman did not walk through the land to own the land, but he's giving the land by sign of the sandal to the second kinsman that the land is his. So that brother who gave up the sandal had to walk home like this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's how it went down. So this brother had to wait actively. He had to conduct business Verse 8, therefore the close relative said to Boaz, bide for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead throughout his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. This is why it's good to be in community with God's people. Because they're blessing you. They're encouraging you as you get blessed. They're speaking life and destiny to you. But when you're not in community, who's cheering for you? When you're not in community, who's there praying for you? The community wanted to see this happen with Boaz and Ruth because the community knew she was a virtuous woman. The community knew that they liked each other. The community was praying that it would happen so that when it happened, they're all excited. And they're saying, we pray that your life will be blessed. So this man, he waited actively. Boaz shows us how to do that. Will you do it? Okay, I don't have a job. While you're waiting on God to provide a job, 
Your job is to wait actively by sending out resumes, filling out applications. Your job while you're waiting on a job is to look for a job. I'm waiting on God to bless my finances. Well, while you're waiting on God to bless your finances, be faithful with the few finances that you have now. Save and budget and give. We want the big, but we don't want to be faithful over a few. Wait actively. And then finally, Naomi shows us how to wait expectantly. Expectantly. Like Ruth, Naomi had to wait for Boaz to handle the family business. Her land could have been redeemed by someone else. But thankfully, Boaz prevailed. She then had to wait for Boaz and Ruth to get married. So watch this now. She had to wait at home like Ruth. What is going to happen with Boaz at the gate? Boaz prevails at the gate and gets the land. So now word comes back home to Naomi. The land is back in your family now. Boaz is the redeemer of the land. So she had to wait for that. Then she had to wait for Boaz and Ruth to get married because she heard that he made a decree that this is now my wife. So then they had to plan the wedding. Then after planning the wedding, she had to wait for them to get pregnant. And then after waiting for them to get pregnant, she had to wait several months for the baby, not knowing if the baby would be a boy or a girl. But once Ruth started expecting, Naomi was expecting. Oh, I'm going to trust God. I tell you, God's been putting this stuff together, and he's going to raise up a male child to continue to perpetuate the name of my family. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. So once again, she's got encouragement from the spiritual community, which she did not have for the 10 years in which she lived in Moab. Her husband cut her off from spiritual community in their church and took her to another part of town. She's back in town. The people are encouraging her. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm mad. I'm bitter. I'm upset with God. They watch the whole thing play out. They have this baby boy named Obed, and the ladies say to Ruth, or Naomi rather, God has not left you. I'm closing here. But the thing that excited me this week is I prayed. The most about this message, please hear me. Somebody thinks that God left them because their life is not connecting and adding because there's pain and affliction, there's death, there's famine, there's disappointment, there's discouragement, maybe even depression, and you have believed the lie that God left you. I just want to send that lie back to hell and say that God has never left you. He has never forsaken you. He's always been there with you. He has not left you. Even if you've attempted to leave him, he has not left you. I like how we sing that song, don't give up on God, because he won't give up on you. With the birth of this baby, Naomi went from emptiness to fullness, from bitterness 
to sweetness. She had changed her name because her circumstances were hard and bitter. She changed her name saying, call me bitter. So I want to say to somebody, when you're going through a hard time, don't change your name. Don't curse yourself. Don't say that you're defeated. Don't say that you're less than. Say that I am what God says I am. I'm blessed. I'm a conqueror. In fact, I'm more than a conqueror. Yeah, I'm going through. Yeah, it hurts. But I'm not going to call myself something that he doesn't call me. Don't you change your name and say you're defeated. Don't you change your name and say you can't make it. No, no, no. Claim the name that he's already given you. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm waiting and I'm expecting to see him show up. And when he shows up, he's going to show out. He may not come when I want, but he's going to come on time. I'm going to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. I was expectant Friday night. After having waited for months to see this movie, The Black Panther. You knew I was going to go there. I knew the movie was coming. I read the reviews before the movie came out. Privileged people got to see it, and they gave it raving reviews. So my expectancy is rising. When Friday comes, let me back up. My wife had already bought tickets for the family because we weren't going to be sold out on that night. So months prior, she bought tickets. So on Friday, my expectancy grew. But guess what? I wasn't feeling well on Friday. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter how I felt because I was going to get up and go to that movie Friday night. I not only went to the movie, I was so expecting that I wore my African robes to the movie and walked in there like Prince Jaffrey Joffre. Took my seat and watched a great movie. And if I can do that about a movie made by men, why can't I expect greatness from God who's made all things? <laughs> that he won't disappoint. That I can wait patiently on him. That I can wait actively on him. That I can wait expectantly on him. Oh, strong tower, I want to let you know he's coming. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Lift up your hands and say, oh, God, strengthen me with strength as I wait on you. Let's stand for prayer. Let's stand for prayer. Amen. No matter what goes down, in the end you win. Sometimes it plays out here. All the time it plays out there. Let's pray, oh God, we wait on you. I pray for the person that's tired of waiting. One thing I know about you, Lord, is that once you do show up, it's then hard to keep up with you. 
Because sometimes you're preparing us while we're waiting for that blessing so that we can be good stewards of what you're going to do. And when we get tired in the blessing, whether it's a call to ministry, a job, a marriage, a house, we look back to the time when we waited so that our strength can be renewed and we can be more appreciative of the blessing. Thank you, God, for Ruth and Naomi and for Boaz. Thank you for the people under the sound of my voice. Lord, we're encouraged today, and we know we can go on a little bit longer. So now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. Come on, give Jesus a praise. Hallelujah. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Have a blessed day in the Lord.